Paul wanted them to do is to see that expectations are everything. And let me tell you a story on expectations. My, my wife and I got married in the Virgin Islands, if you didn't know that about us. We, uh, we started planning our wedding on the homeland, and we said, no way are we going to do this. Uh, let's go away. So we did, um, and it was awesome. We um, answered yes or no questions to what we wanted in our wedding, and it was glorious. And, and uh, so we went there, and we got married on the, on the island of, of St. John in and, and, and a sugar mill ruin, and it was beautiful. Uh, it was perfect weather. It was hot at 9 a.m. in the morning. It was about 85 degrees, and, and I was sweating in my suit. But we did it, and, and it was beautiful and perfect. And then afterwards, my brother, my twin brother, uh, Got, said he got us a, a taxi, a special taxi. So we didn't want to ride down in vans after our wedding, taxi vans. We wanted a special one. So we got a special one uh, with a heart in the back and boys to men blasting and everything. It was glorious. <laughs> it was true. Um, and it was awesome. And we wanted the taxi driver. I mean, he was so great. We wanted him to stop at this special place called Turtle Bay, I believe, right? Turtle Bay maybe something like that. And it was beautiful. It was like this tourist destination that you have to go to in St. John. And, and you look down and he even asked to take a picture of us on our phones. And so he did that. And it was awesome. We get down to the, to the restaurant that we rented out for the reception with about 30, 35 uh, friends and family. And uh, we were like, okay, thanks, thanks. You know, and they have a certain dialect and a certain um, language that, that sometimes can be hard to understand. And he goes, $250. And, and, and it's not often, I mean, it was very often that we'd say, excuse me, you know, like to try and, he said, $250. Um, and I said, no. <laughs> uh, and then my blood started to boil, uh, and I was not in a good place at that moment. I didn't act on that, but my wife knew, and she, she actually knew, she was smart enough to say, I'm going inside. And I said, yeah, you do that. You do that. Um, and, and my dad, uh, who's here this morning, and, and my father-in-law then, uh, I was not happy. I was not a happy camper. They knew it. They said, Derek, just go inside and spend time with your, your, new, your new bride. We'll take care of this. And, and they ended up talking him down to like 150 or something and, and said, get out of here. You know? And it was, a big, it was a big deal, probably bigger than what my, my pops, my dad, uh, will let me know. But it was a big deal. Um, all that to say is we were not happy. And then all of a sudden we walked in and, and, and we were happy. Well, what happened was our expectations was that it was going to be a free beautiful, romantic, boys-to-men blasting taxi ride. And it wasn't. It was a $250 taxi ride that, we, that was like a mile long wrapping around a mountain. Um, see, what, how we went into the situation mattered. Our mindset going into the taxi ride was, it's going to be awesome. It's a complimentary taxi ride. You know, they're taking care of us. And what ended up not being that was, uh, was a $250 taxi ride. See, it determined, our mindset going in determined our satisfaction coming out. Not happy. <laughs> Not happy because we expected a free ride. See, it's the same thing with our life. It's the same thing with our life. If you walk into an opera expecting Fleetwood Mac or Dave Matthews or Biebs, Bieber, <laughs> clarify, you will be highly underdressed and highly dissatisfied. It's the same thing. It, if you walk into a movie expecting a comedy and you get a horror film, you will be really confused. What movie am I watching here? Or are reading, for example, if you're reading the newspaper obituaries and you're reading it like a comic, you will be looked at uh, 
silly, like, like you're morbid or, or something because you're laughing. <laughs> or the political section like the sports section, you will be confused. Or this morning, for example, if you walked in here expecting an all-you-can-eat brunch buffet and you got this, <laughs> no food, singing, standing up, sitting down, me telling you when to sit up, stand up and sit down, um, like I'm a boss or something, you will be highly dissatisfied and hungry. And I will give you a chance to leave right now if you need to do that, if that's what you expected. You know, like when you're in the wrong classroom and the professor says, leave, this is the class. So as we enter into this morning, our expectations matter. As we read, as we go into situations, our expectations matter. And it's the same thing with our Bible reading. How we read our Bible, our mindset heading into our Bible reading matters. And in Galatians Chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, Paul tells us there is a correct way to read our Bible. And if you're reading your Bible wrong, the more reading you do, the more wrong you become. You guys tracking with that? So Paul is telling the Galatians, he's telling the false teachers, you're reading your Bible wrong. So more reading of it is not going to help you. You need to stop and think about how you're reading your Bible. And Paul tells us how to read our Bible in these three verses here. And we have to assess how are you, how are we entering into our Bible? How are we, according to how Paul lays this out, how are we reading our Bible? Because there is a right way and there's a wrong way. And when we read it the right way, we can't get enough. We can't get enough. And we're when, when we do it the wrong way, it seems dry. It seems like a list of demands. It seems like, I can't do any of this. See, Paul tells us that there's a thread here throughout all of Scripture, and that thread that you tug on in any verse you go to, any segment of text you go to, you tug on that thread at the end of it is Jesus. Anywhere you go, the Bible from beginning to end is a promise, not a list of demands, although you'll find them, over 600 of them. They're there, but it's not primarily that. It's a promise that Jesus is enough, a promise that God will provide a way back home for his people, a promise to find true rest and a promise that he will provide it. We won't have to find it. He'll give it to us. It's not a list of to-dos, it's an it is done. It's not a list of demands, but a declaration. It is truly good news. It's a promise for those in this room this morning who feel like a failure. It's a promise for those who have lost hope. It's pardon for those who have heard the guilty verdict. It's hope for the hopeless, for those who put their faith in Christ. Paul is telling us in these three verses that if the Bible was a list of demands, our response to it would be to perform. But praise be to God, it's not a list of demands, it's a promise. And so our response is to trust it and believe it and live like it's true and live differently. See, this is how we are to read our Bible, with Jesus on our mind and faith. So I want to break down two big things in, the, in these three verses, how we should read our Bible. When we are reading God's word, we need to begin with the end in mind. And second thing we need to do when reading God's word, we need to trust it and live like it's true. So verses six through eight tell us this, that we need to begin with the end in mind. So look, at, look there with me, if you would, 
So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. See, Paul tells us this, that in order to read the Bible correctly, we need to start with the end. We don't read the Bible like it's a mystery novel. I wonder what happens next. We know what happens next. We know the end of the story. And that's it is finished in Christ. We know that. Graham Goldsworthy writes this. He's a commentator. He writes this. We do not start at Genesis 1 and work our way forward until we discover where it's all leading. Rather, we come to Christ and he directs us. So because Paul knew that the Judaizers, these false teachers who preach in a false gospel, that it's Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation, because Paul knew that, he went back to the root of their argument in these three verses. He goes back to the root and said, you're reading all of this wrong. Let me tell you how you read your Bible. As the gospel preached beforehand. That's how you read the Old Testament. He knew that their claim on works-based salvation stemmed back to a wrong interpretation of Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. And he said, you got the order wrong. You got the order. He calls them out. By those five questions previous in verses one through five, he calls them out by stinging them with his questions, and then he tells them why they're wrong. See, the Judaizers argued that no one could participate in the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham unless he was circumcised. And notice he, who's left out? Every female that exists. That's not the gospel. What they failed to understand was that their circumcision was not a way to be saved for God's people, but circumcision, get this, was only to be used to distinguish God's people. They got the order wrong, is what he's saying. Look at this order. Genesis 12, verses two and three, and I think they're up on the screen. Says this, God calls Abraham and tells him that he will make him into a nation and he will bless him to be a blessing. And Abraham did nothing. And I paraphrase there, so look up at the screen and you will be able to see it. And then in Genesis 15, so God calls Abraham out. Abram at the time, then Abram, Abraham, calls him out, plucks him out, and says, You will be a blessing. You will be the chosen people. Through you, I will bless. You will be a great nation. Abraham did nothing. The actor in that story is God and God alone. Abraham received. Then Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed after God called him, after God initiated, after God pursued, after God said, you're mine, and so are every single one of your people, then Abraham believed. And then Genesis 17 happens. Verse seven, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. God never said circumcision is how you are saved. I save you, circumcision doesn't. Your works doesn't. You're mine. Before you even do, you're mine. Paul goes back and says, you got the order wrong. You got the order wrong and maybe we do too. Maybe we do too. Or maybe we get the order wrong. Maybe we forget the order in our life. So Paul, using Galatians to speak to the people of Galatia and to speak to us, is telling these false teachers, you're reading a romance novel like it's a comedy, and you need to stop. 
Because the more you read of it, the more confused you will get. The more wrong you are because you're reading it all wrong. See, if you turn to Romans 4, verses 9 through 13, Paul argues this same point, the same exact point. He just says it way better than I do. So why don't we just read it? Romans 4, starting in verse, chapter 4, starting in verse 9 through 13. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And, and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believed, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. See, look back at Galatians 3 with me in verse 6, and we see, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That word, credited, is a business term to put to one's account on behalf of. Righteousness comes from God's justifying us, this act of God removing from the sinner our guilt and the penalty that incurred by that guilt. This is what God did for Abraham when he believed, and this is what he does for us when we believe. This right here is what the Judaizers were trying to earn for themselves by their works. Circumcision. And then we get to verse 8. And Ray Ortland, who is a pastor in Nashville, one of my favorite pastors, if you haven't listened to him, Go on and listen to Ray Ortland. He puts it like this, verse eight. If we read verse eight, it says this. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Ray Ortland says this. Guys, look where we're going. Look where God is taking us. God is going to include and accept and justify non-Jewish non-kosher people from all nations, of all races, of all cultures, of all languages. God is going to bless the world through this promise to Abraham. God's blessing is not limited to just the Jews, not limited to the promised land, not limited to the protocols of the law of Moses because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the good news, the gospel. Do you read the Bible like this? Do you read the Bible is the gospel preached beforehand as gospel, as good news, as promise, as hope in Jesus, as big of all of your, as all of your need. Do you read the Bible like this? You can and you should and you must is what Paul is saying. See, if we're reading the Bible any other way, it's like reading a horror story, but going into it. So reading a horror story, you're going to get there. You're ready for it. Blood, guts, gore. But thinking it's a fantasy love story. What, what, what thoughts are going to come to your mind when, you're reading, when you think you're reading a horror story and then all of a sudden you start reading and you see a fantasy love story? Why so much blood? Why so much violence? Why, why so gory? Why so mean? And I think some of us have read the Bible like that. And I ask those same questions too. Those are okay questions to ask. But Paul is telling us how we should be reading our Bible. 
And here's what I know. I think, I think a lot of us here think that there's a separation between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, like they're different. That Old Testament God, oh, he's so mean. He's judgment and kills people and murders people and all this stuff. And it's harsh and he's rough. And that's just not true. But that, old, that New Testament God, oh, he's nice. He's the one that gives us Jesus. I like him. Flowers and roses. That mindset. And I think we think there's two different gods acting here. And this is just not true. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 27, about this very thing, about this very mindset. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. All the scriptures concerning himself. So let's go back to the Goldsworthy quote. He says this, we do not start at Genesis 1 and work our way forward until we discover where it's all leading. Now, we don't read the Bible like it's a mystery novel. That's what he's saying. Rather, we come to Christ and he directs us to study the Old Testament in light of the good news of the gospel. The gospel will interpret the Old Testament by showing us its goal and its meaning. John 5, 39 says this, This is the words of Jesus. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. If we're not reading the Bible, looking for Jesus, looking as the gospel preached beforehand, we will be left confused. We will be left hopeless. We will be left as a list of demands. And we will be walking away, not full of life, but tired and exhausted. See, Jesus and his suffering and his glory is the key to unlocking all of Scripture. It's like that missing puzzle piece that you look for and and your kid actually took that piece and hit it and you look for it and you look for it. And when you find it, you put it in and it makes sense of the entire puzzle. Or or it's like, um, for example, I need glasses. Like, I've needed glasses for seven years. And guess what you don't see on me? I don't have contacts either. And I know this upcoming week I have an appointment to go get glasses. And I know that I will see clearly when I have those glasses. I know it. I read a lot. I squint a lot. And it will take that fuzzy confusion and make it 2020. Jesus and his good news is our lenses that we put on to see all of Scripture to see it all new for the first time, to brighten it, to make the colors pop off the page, to be that missing puzzle piece that we longed for and we knew should exist, but we just don't see it. If you're not reading the Bible as good news, as God's promises fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus, which is the gospel, you will be left confused. And if you're not reading it with that framework as you enter into it, you're reading the Bible wrong, and the more reading you do, the more wrong you'll become. The Bible isn't a list of to-dos, it's a list of it is done in Christ. David Murray in his book, Jesus on Every Page, which is out on the connect table underneath the map there if you want to leaf through it, I highly suggest it, writes on this division between the Old Testament and New Testament. God says this, the New Testament tells, tells us that the coming of Jesus changed the way grace is administered. The Old Testament administered grace of Jesus in a way that suited the times. It fit. It made sense. It was necessary. Through prophecies, 
which we have a lot of, pictures, which we have a lot of, and symbols, which we have a lot of. But now, that same grace is to be administered directly and only through Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul repeatedly presented Abraham as the prototype, as the example. See, here's the problem, though. The vocab was different in the Old Testament, wasn't it? Anybody who's read their Bible, maybe you haven't, and that's okay, I encourage you to, stemming from this sermon. The vocab was different. The clarity was different. Abraham believed in the shadows. And what's a shadow? It's a reflection of what is actually making that shadow. He believed in the shadows. We believed in the sunlight. We believe in the sunlight. The direction was different. Abraham, get this, looked forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus and ahead to Jesus. But the core The essence, the focus was the same. And our faith and Abraham's faith is wrapped around the promise-keeping God. And the result is the same. This is what happens when we believe that every promise of God is fulfilled in Christ. And we trust that and we give our, our, our lives over to that. The result is the same. Faith that leads to righteousness. Not of our own, found fully in Jesus. That's what it leads to. When every promise of God finds their yes and amen in Christ, that's what it leads to because Jesus, as Tim Keller says, is the true and better prophet. He is the true and better Adam. He passed the test in the garden and his obedience was given to us. He is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable, all the familiar, to go out into the unknown, not knowing He is the better, the true and better Moses, for he stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. He is the real rock of Moses. Maybe some of you have heard of this stuff, maybe not. He is the Passover lamb. He is the true and better, innocent, perfect, helpless slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true example. He is the true temple. He is the true prophet. He is the true priest. He is the true king. He's the true lamb, the light, the bread. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. And are we reading our Bible in this way? And when we read our Bible as the promise of God fulfilled in the promise of Christ, we believe. And that's what I want to encourage us with the second point. What happens, how we read the Bible, when we read God's word, we need to trust it and live like we believe it and take it serious. See, faith is the key that unlocks God's blessing. Look at verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, faith not in our own effort that we don't earn, we don't gain. Faith that the lack thereof our effort doesn't get us what we deserve because grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we have that in Christ. Faith in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Belief that this is enough, that Jesus is powerful enough to justify us. That's faith. That's trust. That if the Bible is a list of demands and and to-dos, our response would be to perform. But because it's a promise from God given to his people that he will bring us back to himself through himself, because that's the promise we have in his word, our response is to trust it and live like it's true. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that every promise of God finds their yes and amen in Christ. 
And Paul is telling us that trust that Christ lived the life that we never could, perfect, died the death that we deserved on our behalf, and God received his righteousness on our behalf. His perfect life on, as if we lived a perfect life. And he got what we deserved. The wrath of God poured out on himself, on the cross. And not only this, but the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that now lives in us. This power lives in us and seals us for that day when everything that is Jesus's is now ours. That's our inheritance, everything. Faith that it's not our church attendance that gets us into heaven. I expected a few amens from that, but that's okay. Or that what we do earns his blessing or our, our salvation. But the blood of Christ and Christ alone is our way to salvation and our way only. And if you're here this morning and you don't know that, I want to encourage you to, and challenge you to look at God's word as his promise to us and look at God's word as his fulfillment of that promise to us because God always keeps his word. He always keeps his promises. And if that is true, our future reality for those who have put their faith in Christ is eternal life with him. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance. He obeyed and went through, and he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, get this, the direction of which he was looking forward to, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And we do the same thing. So how we enter into this book matters. Our expectations matters. The Bible tells us that God is faithful even when we know we're not. The work is complete in Christ. Even so, the, he was victorious over death in the grave and his righteousness is now ours for those who will believe. So here's what I wanna do as I, as I end. I have a few minutes and I can do it fast. I wanna give you a practical. This is as practical as Derek gets. I mean that. I don't get too practical too often. I'm way up here a lot, I know. Ask my wife. But I want to land the plane. I want to give us a practical step. So if you would, if you have his word, turn to Genesis 12 with me. And what I want to do is I want to give us four big questions we can ask of every text, every time you open his word, every single text found in God's word and God's word alone, you can ask these questions and get to the gospel preached beforehand. So I just want to encourage us, if we're reading our Bible and you are feeling drained and you're not feeling full, if you are reading your Bible and you're feeling exhausted and weighed down, I want to challenge you as you walk away, if you have your notes, if you have something to write down, there are pens underneath the chairs, write these four questions down. And these four questions are this. Who is God? Name off characteristics. What has he done? Ultimately, in and through Jesus. Who are we? in light of what he's done, and now what do we do in light of what he's done? So let's practically land the plane in Genesis 12, verses one and three, and I'm gonna read it. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on, on the earth will be blessed through you. So the first question we ask, who is God? According to this text, who is God? And the answer, some 
if, of not all the answers, there's many. Who is God according to this text? He's the one who blesses. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's powerful enough to make a great nation out of one single person. He's the one who acts, and he's the one who is in control. Now get this. So we laid the foundation for who God is. What has he done? And we can't just stop at the text. We have, again, we don't read the Bible as a mystery novel. We know what comes next. We know what happens. So what has he done? He's kept his promise that through Abraham, he will make a great nation. Look around. Those who believe is part of the line of Abraham. This promise has come true. He has kept his promise. And ultimately, why we have this promise is because he kept it in Jesus. We are a great nation because of Jesus. We have been blessed in Jesus. The grace that we don't deserve, we get. That's, who, that's what he's done in Jesus. He set himself on our behalf. And now, who are we in light of this? So according to Genesis 12, who are we in light of this? When we look at the text, who's that great nation? Who has been blessed? We're sons, we're daughters, we're heirs. We're the recipients of his blessing, eternal life in Christ. And then the last question we ask, in light of all of this, what do we need to do? Two words, trust him. Trust him. Live like this is true. The gospel preached beforehand. Live like every promise of God finds their yes and amen in Jesus. And that's how we read our Bible. The promises of God tells us that God loves us, that he loves to meet every single one of our needs. And so if you're in here this morning and you're needy, you are in need, I wanna assure you, you're not gonna find it out there, what you're looking for. You're gonna find it in Christ. I wanna assure you that if you're coming here and you feel like you're just being dragged in here this morning and you're stumbling, you will not find it by searching outside of his word. You will find all that you're looking for in Jesus. Because every promise of God finds their yes in Jesus. And Paul is saying that same thing to us in this, in this text. Do you trust this? Have you trusted this? Have you put your faith in God's promises that are always true? That whatever, here, here's what I want to ask, and then we'll pray and we'll, and we'll leave. Whatever your present circumstances are, do you realize that every promise God has made has come true or will come true? because we're in the already, but not yet. He's already paved a way, and there's more coming, and it's gonna be better than before. For those who have put their hope in Jesus, our future reality is eternal life with our creator. Do you have this hope? Do you have this promise? Is your future reality eternal life with Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Here's what I want you to know. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you to say, I'm in. I believe you. I trust you. I have seen that every promise finds their yes and amen in Christ, and you've given me a way back home, and I'm tired of not taking advantage of it. Maybe that's you this morning. I just want to encourage you. Don't wait. Don't wait. There is such an abundant life to be lived when you're in right relationship with God through Jesus. There is such a joy, such a peace, such a hope, such a future reality that you can be experiencing right now. He doesn't want just the end of your life. He wants your life right now. Do you read the Bible as a list of demands, all 613 of them? 
Or do you read the Bible as a promise that God has fulfilled and will fulfill in himself? I beg you to read the Bible as a promise. I beg you to read the Bible as good news. I beg you to read the Bible as a declaration. And as we look and as we move forward, a declaration in Christ that he will do what he said he's going to do. And let me tell you this, what he said he was going to do is wipe away every tear. What he said he was going to do was get rid of disease. Because I think some of us are experiencing that in here this morning. What he said he's going to do is get rid of all brokenness, all divisions, all hurt, all pain. That everything sad will come in untrue. Is that your hope? Have you trusted that right now? I beg you to. I beg you to. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come to you just humbled at the magnitude, the power of your word. There is so much to be found. I pray that we would read the text, read your word in light of what you've done. We'd read your word with Jesus on our mind because we have Jesus. You've given him to us, Father, and we thank you for that. Jesus, I pray that you would meet people where they're at, right in their chairs this morning, and say, come to me. Come to me because I've done everything you can never do. Come to me because I'm waiting. And I pray that those who are hurting, those who have lost hope, those who are stumbling in here this morning will walk away renewed and refreshed by your grace Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we would walk out of here changed and new as a people who have been saved by grace through faith. Do a work here, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen.